Hello and welcome to episode two of How Not, the brand new podcast hosted by me, Luca Manning. And me, Kim McCurry. Two gobby Scottish creatives that like to talk about the big stuff. We thought you might like to listen. So here we are. Our podcast is here to remind you to always be good troublemakers. Think big and ask, how not? So Kim, here we are again in the, what did I call it last time? The Priscilla Palace, I think, was my um, iconic name for our little cave here that we find ourselves in. How are we today? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I must say I love these new glasses that you're sporting. Thanks. Um, Yeah, listeners, we'll we'll, we'll post the pic of Kim and her new glasses. I was thinking that if I had to describe my fashion style, I would say it's like a sort of like a poisonous insect. Wow, wow, okay, give us more on this. Because, <laughs> you know, they, they're, they're very bright coloured to sort of warn people that they're poisonous. Mm. So I think it's, you know, it's that. I like that. So, so are we, are, is this a warning? Mm, yep. Okay, sending out a warning. A poisonous insect crossed with Billy Connolly, I think, <laughs> is my <laughs> aesthetic. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, big banana boots and a poisonous sting. <laughs> <laughs> that would be on my tombstone. There's a Tinder bio. Goodness me. And wow. it was your birthday recently, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I'm I'm still suffering, to be quite honest. Um, But, you know, you're, you're only 22 once and... I'm happy to be here, and here we are. And that's your second lockdown birthday, is it? Second lockdown birthday, yeah. It was a bit more open than the first, because yeah. we could do rule of six. But, um, yeah, the first was confined to my house in Glasgow. But here I was confined to Victoria Park in East London. Much nicer. Which was lovely, yeah. 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 Um, so who are we talking about today? We are talking about, I'm very on brand. Yes. Um, here we are. Um, you've got three guesses. Um, oh, no audience. Um, we're talking about Keith Haring, yeah, which I'm very excited about, and and I think he was someone that from the oh, just did my flashlight on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> trying to put my phone on Do Not Disturb, and it looks like I'm flash. Oh God, um, I think Keith Haring was someone that we both instantly listed. As I think so. Someone that we we might want to talk about. So um, yeah, well, well, how did we? Come up with that. What? So we had two lists, didn't we? Kind of profiles of brilliant people that we wanted to talk about, mm-hmm. and sort of issues that we wanted to talk about. So last time we did an issue, and now we're going to do a brilliant person. And I guess I don't know. The the list is quite varied of the people. I guess the thread is that we both think that they're brilliant. But yeah, Keith Haring hit right at the top of the list. I think he was really near the. Yeah. Well, why was that for you? I really love visual art. Uh, it's one of my passions, and um, there, I think there are lots of artists that I would really like to sort of delve into. Um, I really like him because I was trying to think of the first time that I saw his work, and I had this sort of really vague memory that I'd seen it on Sesame Street when I was little, really? and I thought like I, that must be like a memory that I'm making up, but it wasn't. Like when I looked into it. That, there was like little short films that were made just after he died that was in Sesame Street in 1990. So I was two. So I was exposed early to Keith Haring's work. I was minus nine. You were minus nine. So I saw him first. <laughs> so That's okay, so. I can live with that. <laughs> okay. Knob number two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't even know if you'll get that joke because we might edit <laughs> We can edit that out. Or but, we can um, open the door to that joke later. I don't know, maybe... 
Um, Episode 46, you might know what that's about. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's all about in-jokes. That's how we sort of generate a tribe that comes yep. with us. Um, I really like him. I like. Um, I always like to sort of democratic approach to art. Mm. I like that he really felt like it was everyone's right to to see art, and and he 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 sort of challenged what the derogatory way that the art world talked about the word accessible, mm. and he said, "Why is that bad? It, sh- it should be accessible." And, I just think it's obviously really easy to do it when you look back on someone's life, but I think for someone who died so young, he lived an incredible amount of yeah. life yeah. in his 31 years, I think. Almost yeah. as if... Well, he does say in his journals, he says something about, I always thought that I'd die young. Yeah. Um, and, like, he did, He really felt like he lived, like, ten lives in one. I don't know. Hmm. How about you? When, when did you first come across? I think I... Saw a lot of Keith Haring art that I didn't, and I didn't realise it was Keith Haring art. I mean, it's so it's such an iconic brand and style that I knew it was the same person that I was seeing, but I didn't know, I didn't link up all the ways in which he touched my life, and that was this one human being. So it was only recently, really, that I, you know, I remember my mate had a T-shirt similar to mine, and then I seen. Another friend had that amazing, iconic Montreal Jazz Festival poster that he did in 88 and on their wall. And then um, someone else had, like, posted on Insta that they'd got some docs or something with the Keith Haring. And I was like, right, who is this person? I was like, right, I need to nail this once and for all. And then I watched the amazing documentary that was on iPlayer recently and uh, started reading the journals. And it just, I just fell down a bit of a rabbit hole. I was like, wow, I'm so inspired by what this incredible human being has done and you know just resonated with so much because because the art world is can be so inaccessible and I'm not someone that you know my, my family are really into art and and you know especially my, my grandparents and stuff but I think I'd always thought that it was all a bit too highbrow for me. Mm-hmm. But Keith Haring was that perfect person to come along and debunk that myth for me. And especially his activism and his love of pop culture and celeb culture and his queerness and just all these things. I was like, wow, this is just everything for yeah. me. It's just everything. It was really fun, I think, to do to like do the research for me for this. Yeah. I mean, fun. and we've had so many beautiful conversations prior to this even about just sending each other little things and just I mean we both listened to that amazing podcast with his sister yeah which was incredible yeah Um, that was really nice to um yeah I guess we'll we'll put a list of the links to the stuff because there's loads of sources yeah so much great info so many good conversations and documentaries but yeah that one with his sister Kristen was lovely just to hear because she isn't in the art world Mm. um just to hear about her relationship with him and it really stuck with me. She said that when he set up the foundation, which he did when he knew that he was going to die, um, and asked her to be on the board, and she was nineteen, and she'd you know she'd have never been on the board of yeah. anything, and he, and it really struck me as well in the journals. There's a, I guess, it's maybe important to say now that he was diagnosed. HIV positive and, yeah. and died. And he died of AIDS-related of complications AIDS, yeah. <clears throat> um, when he was 31. 31, yeah. And and I think that's incredibly important. De- know, well, definitely, to, yeah. 
and yeah, what you were about to say about his journals as well, I think it's, it's quite poignant that of yeah, the time on which he died and, and yeah. a ref- reflection of that. Yeah, because I think, well, so the journals, um, they are, they're not like comprehensive, are they? He doesn't write every day and he doesn't write sort no. of everything that he did every day. So there's... They're quite, they are like the journals of a, an artist yeah. that's brain goes at a million miles yeah. an hour and then isn't um, consistent. You know? Sometimes you have to like grab onto what it is he's talking right. about, or try and understand the gap between the last entry of and what's the next. Happened and yeah, totally. And so there isn't a there isn't an entry where he says, "I've just been diagnosed as HIV positive." There's an there's a there's an entry where he says something about. He sort of talks about it almost like a foregone conclusion: either I already have it or I will get it. Mm. I guess, and and this is that's in reference to. Well, the world around him. And at this point, he was aware of lots of people that he knew and lots of his friends were dying of it. This was when no one was talking about it and no, no. one was putting a name to it and no one was trying to fix it. No, there was very little support yeah. to actually... You know, it's, it's very interesting looking at the coronavirus situation and the worldwide, the global effort to, you know, get the vaccine and to understand the virus and... I think at the time during the AIDS crisis, it was the perfect scapegoat at the perfect time yep. um, against the gay community yep. for governments to use and to, you know, that the, all the lies were told and, mm-hmm. and the, the money went into the, 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 the lies campaigns as opposed to yeah. research and support for the exactly. people that needed it. I mean, I think that probably feeds into this thing of he felt like he would die young because he was in the world where the world was sort of telling him that yeah. he would die young and yeah, also telling him that they didn't care. Yeah. Like, um, and so, yeah, there isn't an entry where he, he references it directly. There's just a big gap. And then at one point he references about the fact that he he looks ill now. He looks ill. He has the rash, which is like... One, one of, of the, the first visible of, signs, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's just, it's hard to comprehend really because, I mean, he died, he died younger than I am now. Um, I think he has a really old soul. He always appeared like his brain was a lot. But yeah, also a an incredible youthfulness to everything he did. Yeah, like I think it might have been his sister or someone else that. Well, the way people tend to speak about him is that he was such a kid in his playfulness and his work, and he loved kids and being around them and. Whenever he, there was such a performative aspect to his work, like when he did big public murals, yeah. all these kids would like uh, line up and like want autographs, and he'd give them his button badges, and they'd love to watch him paint because yeah. he'd kind of probably be like blasting Devo out of a boombox and just like jumping around, like doing this crazy spray paint stuff or whatever yeah. it was, you know. Um, I feel like there was such a playfulness, such a youthfulness, Definitely. but yet in his kind of line of thinking, which yeah. is more what you're saying, there was such a reflective tone for someone that was so young yeah exactly and so i just i think i think the way he handled it was just incredible he didn't seem to stop working in fact he worked more furiously than than ever oh 100 percent. yeah he he almost it was almost like there was a switch kind of flicked where he thought i I am on limited time here so i'm gonna make the most of it yeah Uh, but then he he had the foresight to realize that there were things uh, the activist part of him that he didn't want that to stop, that that mm. was important work, and that's why he set up this the foundation, yeah. which I think is extraordinary for someone. Again, like such a mature move. Yeah. You know, 
it would be forgiven of him to have recluded into himself and stopped working and um, felt incredibly sad about what was about to happen to him and and, um, cut off contact with people. But instead, he gave more to everyone. He worked more. He set up this foundation that would not just carry on his lineage, but actively help um, organise it and support organisations and charities that specifically help those with HIV and AIDS and and youth projects. And I mean... That's a, an incredible thing for someone to do when they've just found out, you know, and it really was a death sentence yeah. then. It wasn't something that was curable and barely treatable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a, a real inspiring situation there of him setting up that foundation. I, if it was like he lived his life on fast forward because a lot of artists, <clears throat> if, if even if they strive to, to, to build a reputation, sometimes... It either never happens or it happens after they've died. He seemed to be able to enjoy a bit of it. It seemed to happen while he was alive, which I'm, which is great. Yeah, and I think a lot of it did in terms of how quick his rise to fame was. Yeah. But then he, I, I just feel like with him, he knew what he wanted. Yeah. He, he arrived at that School of Visual Arts in New York and he was instantly like, you know, there was a story about him just like finding a room that wasn't being used and setting it up as his studio. And he had the the real kind of like drive to do yeah. that. He was taking up space. He was putting up his work in corridors to, to kind of publicise it before any, you know, without asking anyone. And not yeah. that you need to, but it proves yet again that sometimes, you know, being unapologetically driven and ambitious can get you places. And yeah. he was, you know, starting off in the subways when these um, adverts were covered up. He'd just go down with chalk and paint over them. And, like, he just did such a drive to, like, get his art out there. He yeah. knew that he would get there one day. He really did. And, and he wasn't messing around. No, he wasn't. Um, if someone has never seen his work, how would you describe it? Um, I would say playful. Um, I would say vibrant. Um recognisable, just instantly recognisable um, and a kind of cross between kind of, I, I don't know it's, it's so branded and and I know that that wouldn't be derogatory to him because no. of where he stood in terms of the commercial art world and, and well just commercialisation of, of product um, but yeah I'd just say an iconic brand really Yeah, it's kind of like What about you? I guess it's like it's a cross between graffiti and cartoon, isn't it? Yeah, That's I, I was going like. to say animated or yeah. a cartoon. Yeah, um, like big thick black lines, um, loads bold. of yeah, really bold, bold color, thick lines, lots of like recurring symbols. So mm. he kind of like he sort of made a language. He did, yeah. He talks a lot in his journals about like hieroglyphics and uh, kind of semiotics, so it's like so visual like languages. Yeah, with like the, the baby and and what yeah. that represented, and then. The, the animals and and the the heart you yeah. know and yeah there was a lot of these things that represented more than one thing to yeah. him even you know exactly yeah so like properly like a language so that if you combined two symbols they meant something different to what mm. they might mean on their own and i think loads of it feels like there's loads of movement in the work so like once you know that he would you know, work in the street and while there was um, kind of dancers and stuff, it makes perfect sense because a lot of the figures 
like the human figures that he draws look like they're dancing or they're moving. Yeah. That's a big, big thing. They're never kind of static. No. Um, and I think it's a, it's quite an amazing sort of document of the time he lived through. So there's like, you know, there's references to, well, nuclear war. So, the, mm. you know, the, this kind of constant threat that they lived through. So we should say, so he was born in 58 and he died in 1990. So he yeah. lived through... You know this kind of massive preoccupation with was there going to be a nuclear bomb, and that com- that comes out a lot, um, and also like the the rise of kind of technology. So there's that image, there's the like the TV screen with the three eyes that's there a lot. And he played a lot with um, not you know he wasn't always just someone that did um, kind of painted work. It was he, he did a lot of kind of. Um, working with film and and technology, he was really interested in. It was kind of Warhol esque, yeah, that definitely. Kind of cut up film and 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 processed visuals as yeah. well. So, and if you think th- think about how much technology has come on from from when he was alive, mm. it'd be amazing to see what, what he did he was with doing it now. now. Yeah, wow, yeah. Because like just just right at the end of the journals where he talks about going into someone's studio when they have a they have a computer and that's like an exceptional thing to remark mm. upon. And to, and he and some of his he is sort of thinking about um, what he could do with, you know, the difference between being able to actually feel the line being painted or drawn versus like when you you do it on a screen and thinking about yeah. ways he can kind of develop that. I think he, of all the work that he made in the time he was alive, he would be making so much work now because it everything's got so much easier to do like digitally. And I guess just to zoom out and give a a kind of macroed view of that it's, it resonates with something that I remember you texting me one night that was like imagine if we hadn't lost so many beautiful people to the AIDS crisis yep. the amount of culture and art and, and 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 also on the flip side you know a lot of podcasts that I've listened to recently through the amazing programme It's a Sin that came out and, and depicted AIDS crisis in Britain it's, it's about also remembering the people that weren't groundbreaking creatives that you know right. this life were taking as well, you know whoever they were, but equally you know it's 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 pretty astounding to think how many a whole generation of people that would still be alive now and still creating were were taken um, through through that crisis, and he was one of them. Definitely, and I th- well, yeah, I think that, yeah, exactly. That is the, his life because he was creative is not more valuable than all of the. The people yeah. we don't know their names. I guess there's such a strong connection between the queer community and the gay community, and like and art and culture mm. that it does feel really connected to. Like whole movements, you know, took place. Like art and culture movements took place within. So it, the AIDS crisis, really decimated that. For like we lost so many artists and filmmakers and and a huge number of activists. So mm. And I think that's the other thing. Like it. when people realised that no one else was fighting for this and they had to fight themselves it it was like we were talking about last time it grew this generation of brilliant activists yeah the whole act up um, movement that was that was over there in America and and here um, was really a a movement that's still not been documented to its credit, yeah, yeah, I think, and and Keith's work would feature that loads. Yeah. You, you, he did posters, and and he'd also go to protests and hand out his mm-hmm. his his posters, and 
and we know through we know now that how engaging activism can be when it has graphics and yep. and lo- like literally look at Instagram, you know. I know, <laughs> like exactly. All the Instagraphics that we see now, like Keith Haring was one of the pivotal people in making that happen. I think that the way it is, the way it functions today, is because of that relationship that he found between activism and a strong image. Yeah. And 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 just creating something that people would remember yeah and therefore look into and research and and hopefully become a part of and that's what on that podcast with the sister that's what she said isn't it she said like there's still like organizations um using his logo yeah Yeah, and people will say like how was keith herring's work there and but he was just really prolific he would be giving stuff away like doing stuff that he was paid for but also just doing loads of stuff he's there's a thing where he talks about going he's somewhere else in the world i can't remember maybe japan and someone says that they basically bought a poster of his and then they just stuck it up on a billboard you know like in the middle of the night um and someone says to him yeah you've got people working for you all over the world and i think some artists would have felt that that was a bit of a violation to take mm. his, take his work and do something with it without his consent. But he his sense of ownership over the work was really different to a lot of artists, I think. Well, I think one, because he believed that art really belonged to everyone. Yeah. And two, I think he actively drove his art out to reach more people so he would have loved that. You yeah. know, he would hand out his art to anyone and everyone that he could and and button badges or posters and and then with the pop shop that he opened yeah just to he wanted his art to be everywhere not just in galleries not just art dealers homes or auctions he really wanted it to be everywhere yeah wearable accessible i mean from on literally on gray stones's body to yeah like button badges that he gave on the subway it's like it was everywhere yeah and uh, I think that he, and he does talk about this in the journals like this, he was really criticised for that pop shop yeah. stuff. He was really hammered. Um, Sell out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that uh, people talk about Warhol, I think he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's and he says like, well, well, A, I could make so much more money if I sold to dealers and sold yeah. to people privately. I don't want the work to be sold to one person and never seen never again. Um so isn't that more sort of commercial to kind of enter into that art market? And also, exactly. like, is it is it more honest to play the game and tell people that you're playing it or to pretend you're not playing it when you actually are? Yeah, he said yeah. that the, the art world was one of the most corrupt, you yeah. know, because it, it, it brought up this whole question with him doing the pop shop. It was like, oh, you're just here to make money and is this just some big kind of capitalist thing and you're meant to be this kind of... Yeah, fighter for the communities, and then that was his response, which was yeah. perfect. It was like, no, actually, I would be making more money. Yeah, with in the art world, and it's more corrupt. And you know, I'm, I'm by doing this, I am making something that's so inaccessible accessible to people that need to see it, and yeah. and should benefit from it. And if you've got you know twenty five dollars, then you can buy a t shirt. If yeah. you've got no dollars, then I'll give you a badge. Exactly. Like if you've got. 50 grand you can commission me to do a piece like there's no barrier to that I think that's why he sort of sidestepped working in like private galleries and either was working in the street or working in like big public galleries because that was the those were the two most appropriate spaces you know like with the the Australian um, documentary where he's doing the 
the painting on the walls of the gallery in New South Wales and he says like you know that's the mo- that's the closest sort of connection to working on the street is a space where everyone can come in and out and there's loads of people like there's lots of like school groups isn't there that yeah, are brought they, they in would to come watch and watch yeah. and, and what an amazing thing you know it's yeah it's incredible and it's important to say that his love of working in the street was something that was so rooted in again a reflection of the time with hip hop culture and where he was in New York and black culture and, and street art and he was I thought I think he's one of very few people that managed to become so integrated into that community and well respected yeah. in that community without growing up in it you know it's, yeah. it's incredible how highly respected and highly spoken of he is amongst street artists for someone that you know, was was not one of them to begin with. Yeah, because he... took great inspiration from them. And when you hear other people talk about him, you hear street artists talk about him, you hear, like, African-American people talk about him, it's with such respect and love. And it was like, you know, he grew up in, like, Kutztown in Pennsylvania, so he'd, he wasn't from New York. No. Um, and I think he was really aware that the the street art movement that he was entering into was predominantly black and Latinx. And Latin, yeah. So and I think he was really respectful. And I think even his decision to 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 chalk do the chalk drums in the spray, lines yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than spray paint yeah. on the walls, I think is a really strong message of like, I respect your space and yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna take up the space but my own. I'm not gonna you know and I think that was what made he seemed so well loved, and like you know, there's footage of his some gallery openings, and some um, someone says it was like the only opening of a show where you'd see black people and white people there. So true, yeah, yeah, and and people that wouldn't be at any other gallery opening right. of a major artist. Exactly, yeah, and that was it. Never felt um, like contrived, and it never felt superficial. It just felt like it was who he was, yeah, and 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 who he surrounded himself with yeah because also at this time he was um a huge lover of of dancing yeah and partying and disco and he would hit up um paradise garage which was this iconic club in new york with like larry levin and, and supposedly the best sound system in the world yeah. for dancing and it's so much so that whenever he had a big job that he had to fly away for he would always make sure that his plane left after the Paradise Garage Saturday night or he'd be back for that Saturday night which is just amazing I think (laughs) you know that one condition like as long as I get to party first I'll get straight on the plane I don't care Um, but this was the the black community in New York with disco culture and probably ballroom culture feeding into that and um, you know these spaces where you know incredibly kind of reflective of the, the roots in which the music was founded, the culture, the the art. So for him to also, it's no surprise that he was parting at these places and yet also finding himself reflecting that in his art and who he surrounded himself with and yeah. who he loved. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and there's a bit, I guess, toward the end of his journals where he laments the closing of Paradise Garage and it really yeah. hits him hard when it closes. Like, it was... These, these spaces were so... The, so central to like whole movements that it yeah. did feel like something changing and or ending when the space is closed, yeah. you know, because it's the same with well we we've we've talked before off air 
about like the Blitz Club and yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It, it's a real it was a real meeting place for lots of different because I you know I think now that one of the things that I think has changed is that it feels far less common for lots of different people to come together with kind of a shared so I'm much more likely to see groups of musicians socialised together yeah. than groups of people who work in all different mediums of art for example yeah. um, and I guess it, it just feels like the way that we socialise and the way that we sort of identify seems to have changed I feel I sometimes worry that like we've got quite sort of insular you know? I have also worried about this I was talking um to someone that we both love dearly, Zosa Cole, about this, actually. And we were saying that the most inspiring thing we find is surrounding ourselves with people that create all forms of art. Yeah. So, you know, I have friends who are dancers and choreographers who are who make clothes, who paint, who write poetry, and sometimes they're more inspiring than a lot of the musicians <laughs> I know, you know, yeah. because I, it's like a world that you know but that you don't know yeah in a whole other way and i think that makes your art stronger when you surround yourself with people like that totally and that is something that he did hands down because before paradise there was a weird club that they found a little kind of weird and wonderful place where he'd do a lot of performance art Mm -hmm. and 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 him and his school for visual arts friends would all go down there and it almost felt like kind of these beautiful like East London drag spaces where you find you you walk in you just don't like Vogue Fabrics and Dawson like you do not know what's going to be on yeah like it could be any kind of form of who the hell knows what but you know it'll be great and that it was almost like they'd found that kind of space before the big major clubs and Mm -hmm. and it was like that that would have been so formative yeah like in his relationship with like surrounding himself with other artistic communities and and what he wanted to make and what he could bring to that but also what he could learn from it yeah it's it felt like more like these the, these clubs were like safe spaces people built them to right. be safe spaces 100 percent. and yeah. like and i remember um there's an interview with steve strange about when he worked on the door in the blitz club and and he was asked about his like pretty ferocious tour uh, policy <laughs> But he said, like, no, I want to make sure that anyone that comes in, you know, is allowed. Yeah, and that they are allowed to be there and to express themselves and everyone else is safe. And I think that's a really important point. It's the same with, like, Paradise Garage. If you've, you have to remember at that time, like, in society and politically, like, white and black people hanging out wasn't always celebrated. No. And so you did want to generate safe spaces. And, and, you know, these are people that, would have faced a very, very real threat and still do a very, very real threat of violence Yep. out on the streets and to come into a space where you can have the freedom to love mm-hmm. and to dance and to be around your people is still yep. so powerful. Definitely. I mean, that, that's why it's still so powerful in the sense of queer spaces now or whatever kind of space, but um, having spaces that remain safe yep. for people and aren't just there to provide... You know, yes, to provide entertainment, but also to be a real sense of community for people, you know. Definitely, and, yeah. And through, the, you know, that doesn't always need to be mad deep. It's like finding sense of community through, like, bloody karaoke, like, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't it's, it's just, you yeah. know, having that space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's talk about um, Grace Jones, what he did with Grace Yeah, Jones. I mean, you probably know more about this than me, but I've just, yeah, I just touched on it earlier with, you know, it was... Yeah, so she... He... 
he painted a couple of people. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to paint someone, I would say Grace Jones would be the top of your list of yeah. someone to paint. Also, right? like, who... I, I just like who else would have been so up for it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Who exactly. else would ring you up and be like, you, baby, yeah. you're going to paint me? Yeah. Like, And it was a couple of times, right? Yeah. Was, yeah. Um, and there's this like, um, this amazing photo of Grace Jones. You see the back of her completely covered in paint. So he's painting like white block lines instead yeah. of they would usually be black if he was painting on like walls or whatever. Um, she's completely covered in these like patterns. And then here's Keith like, Super high trousers, like lovely sort of dorky little man. Yeah. And there's Grace Jones, this like statuesque. Yeah, uh, just standing there while he's she's completely naked. I think that's such a beautiful reference. Yeah. Reference that kind of juxtaposition. Look at me to do my words. (laughs) Um, that's my higher English. Thank you. You're coming out of your hangover. Clearly. Yep. Here I am. (laughs) Um, but um. Yeah, to actually reference for someone that was so vivid and colourful in what they gave to the world, I I don't know if I'd... I'd, I think... In his own presentation of self... I'm trying to say this in a way that... (laughs) He was like a little dorky artist. Yeah, lovely. In in every sense of the word. And I think he must have had such an indeed in like glow and and yeah. personality and energy i mean oh my god to to be the person he was but i just love that aesthetically in himself he was just this dorky like kind of real kind of like dorky white man like in i think sense. he was as sure of himself as she was but it yes. just presented so differently, in such right? beautifully different ways that's yeah. exactly what i was trying to say yeah and and that image of yeah just him having put a sense of himself onto her body and it's such an innate thing to do isn't it to directly paint onto someone's body and 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 you have this result of something so performative and visual and then he's just gonna stand there with his paintbrush and is gonna dodge your glasses like yep that was me (laughs) um it's beautiful and it's like this it's just a moment because it's going to be washed off and that's the end of it and it's like i think there was always a sense in his work of like um, how long something would exist because if it was a mural he didn't know when it was going to be painted over or um, you know he, it, there was never that a sense of me you know well, like of not it not being, being around artist, forever like, yeah yeah but I guess he kind of loved that transitory thing but like I just I would be like no I'm proud of that keep that I'd be like keep that one like <laughs> yeah. paint over that one I don't give a shit about that one well but. he said like uh, the and I definitely like I this resonates with me a lot. He said, like, the last piece I've done is my favourite piece. Like, mm. um, And so in a way, I guess, like, if a one back in, down the road gets painted over, he's he away, he's looking ahead. He was always searching for yeah. something more. And some and, of them... there are pieces that are yeah, of course, around, there's loads, and, yeah. and around the world and, and obviously have now been preserved. But, yeah. Um, one of the most vivid for me was... In somewhere in the states, in a community center, like a, a queer community center, and it, in the bath, in the toilet, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's quite incredible. And it's sort of derelict now, isn't it? Or it's not used. Yeah, yeah, it's it? not used anymore. Yeah. But there's something about the brokenness of it all. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, and 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 every time you look at it, there's something more. Yeah, to be seen, and it was like his his kind of final lover goes to see it in that documentary. Yeah, it's quite. Every time is quite quite taken aback by what 
what he finds in the in the lines and that's ultimately what a piece of great art should be right yeah it's kind of like definitely it's a story yeah definitely and it's i think that piece is really intense because it's it's the whole room so you're like like you're like surrounded by it yeah yeah yeah. um and there is there's so much to see and it just and yeah you're right about the there's something about like the sort of broken tiles and like this the way it is it just is like it once you've seen it once i think that stays in your mind forever Mm -hmm. the same as the grace jones thing i think yeah totally i saw grace jones uh at North Sea a few years ago. Wow. And I was... Have you been to North Sea before? I haven't, no. It's, like, super weird and all in one If anyone big... wants to take me, then, you know, <laughs> just hit me up. I presume we'll be sponsored by them. Yeah. North Sea, N-A-D. get in our DMs right now. We Come want on. sponsorship. Lovely. We'll we'll plug it. Don't you worry. Yeah. Um, it's in one space. Like, it's like a big conference centre. Mm-hmm. So, like, you are darting from room to room because, you know... Um, there's always like loads of stuff on so loads of people will go in and out and it's it's a bit of a problem with like you never get an audience that stays still because they're always like oh in five minutes i want to go yeah that would stress me out as an artist like like being like how do i keep them here because i know grace jones is playing in the next (laughs) room and i want to stay for me i'd be like do you know what just go come back yeah yeah go Go, don't worry like in fact you know what i'm just gonna cut my set because i want to see her (laughs) too let's all go we'll resume and so i went um i mean she was always, I'm definitely going to go see her. There's like one big space. Still smaller than you'd see most acts that perform there. These are big, oh. big, big. It's like, I think some people come to that festival to see the big stuff because yeah. it's, the, you know, it's a chance to see them in a fairly intimate space. And so I, I waited for ages. Obviously, everything runs perfectly to time apart from Grace Jones in yeah. Northie. Yeah. Uh, and she, cut, she came out... Um, so she had, well, she had something on her bottom half, a small item covering yeah, her bottom. Classic. Um, but she was topless, but she was painted like in homage to Keith's wow. work. So the same yeah, yeah, yeah. white paint. Um, and then she had this absolutely massive gold skull uh, headpiece that was like, this is a visual reference. Oh, I think I've actually seen that yeah, before. Yeah, with big jagged bits coming yeah, out Yeah, yeah, I've seen pictures um, of that before. And so you don't really even... When she came out, you didn't even really see her actual face. You saw this big, giant, jaggy gold skull and then this amazing, like, paintwork. And then... So she's, like, 70 at this point when yeah. I saw her. Legs, like, up to her armpits. Yeah. Like, insane. Legs and for she days. she is flinging them everywhere. Was and there then, a hula hoop involved? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like, she's like spindling along with her brilliant legs everywhere. And then she obviously hula hoops to the entire um, Slave to the Rhythm. Yep. Beautiful. And it's like, I'm just, I I feel the, those musical moments where it's like feeling like a child on Christmas Day, where you're just like grinning because this is just like beyond anything you can like comprehend. It's just like otherworldly. Yeah. And in a space that's, it's such a sensory overload. North Sea. It's like roasting hot. There's people everywhere. But for that like hour show, you're just, just lifted. Transcended, yeah. yeah. Um and I think like geez, why like how many people how many people like Grace Jones exist in the world? Definitely not I many. Think or just one. one. Yeah. Cause yeah, I I've oh, it's so annoying. I think I had tickets to I, I was a big Paolo Nutini fan back in the day. Sure. I mean, still would, you know, enjoy a bit of Paolo every now and then. Sure. 
Um, but really weirdly, there was these Bella Houston Park summer session things back home, and the bill was Paolo Nutini and Grace Jones. The classic double bill. Great, the yeah. classic double bill. Um, I don't know what the programmer was on. <laughs> Maybe there was a fight in the office or something between two kind of extremely different personalities. <laughs> um, but my mum went, and my pal shout out to Rosie Graham. I think me and Rosie had tickets together, and I must have given mine to my mum or something. And and it was the classic, yeah, gold, all gold paint she had. Nice. And um, I don't even know if she had anything on her bottom half. Maybe, maybe it was just, a big stripe of paint. Yeah, I yeah, know, yeah, maybe it was just one big blob of paint. <laughs> um, and yeah, hula hooping for hula hoop until the cows came home. Yeah, hula hoop until you got to the bar and back at Bella Houston Park. That's and she's you. singing live. And she's it's not singing like live. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that might be my twenty-second year on the earth kind of goal to sing "Slave to the Rhythm" and hula hoop. Hula hoop. The whole time. We can make it happen. Crash Jones, I'm coming for your gig. On your 70th birthday, you can do that. Ah. Oh my God, bucket list. There we go. But like, I would, if Grace Jones would, you know, like give me a ring and say, could you please paint my naked body? In my heart, I would, I would be like, yes, obviously this is my dream. Yeah. But I would be shitting myself. Yeah. And I would present, I would give a really poor representation of myself because I'd be yeah, so same, nervous. Yeah, probably. But I think that also what just come into my mind is how much he embraced celebrity culture. Yeah. And being famous. Yeah. And it didn't ever feel like or seem like the fame was something that he got nervous about. In the way that we see now how it affects, how it manifests. Like, it, it didn't seem like he was ever scared of his sense of self leaving him. Right. It was like he always knew the like the art that he wanted to make and he was very clear about that. Like he never lost his direction. You know, he wasn't ever really the troubled artist. Like he had a lot of troubles yeah. in his life, of course. Um, I mean, 100%, but he didn't... His art was never troubled. Like, and he did the, love In the way life. that he knew what he wanted to convey Definitely. so I feel like as soon as Grace Jones calls him up he's like no I know what exactly he's probably yeah. already visualising what he's going to yeah. do do you know so yeah and I feel like he hung out with a lot of cool people he did so it might, he, was he like, might not have shat his pants as much as yeah. me or you I mean we hung out with cool people no we do we, we hung out with each other you know? exactly but um, maybe not Grace Jones quite yet not yet And but you're right and actually when you see him in like the world around him can be really stressful. There's like that in the Australian documentary, he's actually he takes someone off the street and paints them, mm. um, uh, for this sort of cat, sort of strange catwalk show that's outside, and he's sort of painting them, and there's people rushing around, and it's all really hectic. He's like this little island of calm in the middle of all that, and you're right, like he doesn't change his. He's the same little energy to him, well, big energy to him, but sort of quiet, still energy to him whether he's talking one-to-one with someone in a really quiet little living room or he's, you know, backstage at this really frenetic... He's he's still always the same, so I think things didn't seem to phase him, like, at all. He was just really sure of what he was doing and yeah. who he was, which is just lovely to see. And I think... I I know a few people like that in my life and they're the, the nicest people to be around. They're It's so soothing and reassuring and calming to be around someone who's so sure of who they yeah, are yeah to not lose that sense of self yeah yeah in any situation yeah it's amazing yeah um so you um because we didn't actually talk about what our research plan was for these things so i'm interested to know what you did 
when we decided we were going to do Keith Haring, what what did you do? Did you just delve into watching stuff? And I just delved. Stuff? Yeah, I mean, I listened to that amazing podcast with Kristen, and yeah. I also read an amazing Guardian article. I can't remember who wrote it um, on him, which I loved recently, and watched the Australia documentary. Mm-hmm and um, started reading the journals. I'm in the process. That's going to um, be the next thing for me, I think, is diving into them. Grace Jones comes um, back at the end in an extraordinary way. I'll just say that. Wow, yeah, no spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> I mean, I, it's quite interesting because I remember us both saying, we were like, you know, there's so much, there is a lot out there already um, and we will link you to all the beautiful resources that we found, but this is just about us sharing Enthusing. Enthusing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much in his life that, you know, we we weren't here to give a chronological account. But, um, yeah, I think... Well, I think one of the really interesting things that I was reading about recently is his... How his... He seemed to have so many connections in different areas of the art world. So mm-hmm. whether it was Andrew Warhol or, like, just so many other, like, iconic artists that he had friendships with or, like that respected him, whether in, in the backgrounds that they came from, there was a kind of, he had ties with a lot of different people in different scenes. Yeah, he was like like in the middle and everyone, he drew lots of people together yeah. from different places, definitely. I think his relationship with Andy Warhol is something I really like. Um, I, yeah, like you said, there's the video thing and I think that the it was Andy Warhol's video stuff that I first got sort of really drawn into. That was what really... Um, really sort of pulled me in. There's a film of a meeting there, Hamburger, that mm. was like, I saw that at the Whitney in New York and I was really mesmerised by it. Sort of more so than the the like, the like the, the screen prints because I think, actually like Keith Haring, they've become these like incredibly strong cultural reference points that you almost forget. You, they're just ubiquitous. They just exist right. in your mind. I can't remember when I first saw them. I see them everywhere. Totally. They're recreated everywhere. And sometimes it takes you a bit to sort of reset and I don't know think about life before them like that it was a really bold thing to create them sometimes you forget because you've just you've lived with them your Mm. whole life you know um but he I don't people I got the sense that people that Andy Warhol was less sort of unanimously loved and adored than Keith Haring. And let's oh, yeah, remember I mean, that Keith Haring died when he was very young, so it's not yeah. a direct comparison. But but Andy Warhol was shot he by was someone shot. that... really didn't like him. <laughs> she was very angry. Very angry. Um, but yeah, but still, you know, I see the same sorts of things. Like, I still think Andy Warhol was, in the same way, very childlike. Yes. Like, and... Um, well, and sort out creating... A brand, yep, and a and the pop art thing, and um, and was also really magnetic and drew people to him. So mm. he was like this this central point, and people and I. Well, there was the whole Studio Fifty Four situation. Same thing well, about like, like creating a space, right? Together and, yeah. yeah, totally. I think um, sometimes people were a little bit frightened of Andy Warhol because he was like pretty out there. Yeah. Um, but like, someone said recently that one. So one criticism of Andy Warhol was that. People said that he used people. Right. And someone said, actually, no, he just allowed people to use him. Like, that was the thing. So he he was very quiet and very sort of shy and he was like a sort of alien. Do you know what I mean? You see him in pictures and he just looks like he's just been dropped to earth and he's like, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, Um, yeah. 
and but he just and sort of like and everyone that orbited around him are these massive larger than life figures and yeah but i get the sense that when keith herring talks about him he talks about him with such love and sort of really references how influential he was mm. you know actually keith herring is good at doing that for everyone he's so good at crediting that's what his i was influence. gonna say yeah um yeah there's no kind of you you don't hear anyone saying that keith herring was using people as no. a criticism because he's so good at that's like the first thing he does is credit his influence all the time and, yeah and cite it and and admire it yeah alongside all of us yeah you know? he celebrates it in a really sort of open way who was that other beautifully iconic artist jean, jean michel, michel basket, basket. Yeah. yeah i mean there's another well, yeah. stunning friendship right yeah, beautiful of yeah people that were just on the same page on yeah. the same wavelength yeah and again almost people that they they were like they burnt so brightly that we only had them for a really short yeah. period of time definitely um but yeah, because in the Australian thing, there is a little, a couple of kids are interviewed about what they think about Keith Haring doing this painting, and I remember one boy says, I, "Well, I don't really like it. He's coming over here and sort of, you know, he's kind of making these drawings that they feel he felt that were quite disrespectful, to sort of Aboriginal cave paintings, and and I guess he'd heard Keith uh, reference." The, the cave paintings thing and but I always I you know he referenced hieroglyphics and, and sort of aboriginal works and actually just kind of that that way of visually telling stories he, he referenced it a lot and I guess it's the thing where cultural appropriation has become a bad term but what he did he, he very clearly said well yeah I am appropriating it yes I was influenced by it and obviously didn't grow up as an Aborigine, so it isn't my first-hand, you know, language. But I am influenced by it, and I'm not gonna, not gonna deny it and say that I've invented this new thing. I'm gonna respect where what came before, yeah. and I think that's a very admirable thing to do. And he did the same with all of his influences. And also, I mean, without getting too much into the appropriation argument on a whole, but I think there's something to be said for folk that acknowledge their inspiration and then immerse themselves in the things that help them to understand it. Definitely. You know, so it wasn't like he'd come out of nowhere and like rolled out of bed and gone, oh, quite fancy doing this kind of style. It's like he fully immersed himself in in what he loved and what he wanted to be inspired by. And that then gave him the info to to use that he wanted to use. And still you can have your own opinions on whether that's right or wrong, but he did immerse himself in, in what he loved. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's really, there's the only point where I ever saw, in all the footage, the only bit I ever see him get cross is where that man in the Australian documentary is asking him questions while he's drawing. And he just says, like, I've told you we can sit down and talk yeah. about this later, but you're wasting your time doing this now. And it's just, he's so gentle and kind, mm. but he, you can tell how cross he is. You're just like, can you just fuck off and let me do the thing and we'll do this later? That would have been maybe one of the things that was more difficult for him to grapple with is like he did love to just work. Yeah. But then as he got more and more and more and more famous, people want, people demand of you so much, you know, your time and speaking to them and... and And I think he loved, he did love that and being documented and being around people. And I think it's hard when you let people in like that. It's hard then to like shut the door and say, totally. "Can I just have like five minutes to myself?" Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, 
I'm so very glad he existed on Earth, so I think. I. And the fact that I first saw him on Sesame Street, I think, is a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I love it's that. Like, um, if anyone's work would would fit so beautifully and connect with children as well as adults, it's his work, right? Right, exactly. Um, and although those films were made just after he died, I think, like we said, you know, he was really interested in film and stuff, so it felt like a very very sort of respectful, authentic thing yeah. to do. Because um, there's one with the, the dancing figures and the, the red dog, and then there's one with something else. Um, and, yeah, between that and, like, seeing Grace Jones painted and then eventually it all coming together to realise it was one person, I think. Well done. Yeah. And all when you're 31. And also, like, I think anyone, if they don't know that it's a Keith Haring work, like... You will see. It, you will begin to see it everywhere in your life because that's Definitely. certainly what happened to me. Yep. Like the more I delved into it, the more it just turned up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like it was, yeah, it was everywhere, and it still is everywhere. And there's still new things being created, and you know because he'd kind of always well, got the foundation there, but also his kind of logo is such that he was so generous with how it yeah. was used. Um, yeah, there's just so much kind of out there and still out there and being done that's beautiful to to look at and and yeah it's everywhere and like yeah cause you said there's this like a there's a doc martens there's a like yeah. collaboration right where there's yeah. and i think sometimes i see those things and i and and it's posthumous so there's you know and i think i don't know if 100%. that artist would have liked that 100 percent um i am certain he would have been like totally up for it. Yeah, let's yeah. make some Doc Martens. Great. Yeah. He probably had drawn Doc Martens for people anyway. Exactly. So that is like it's com- that's completely appropriate use. And I, I guess there is a question about well, you know, when art is out there, it, who does it belong to? But I think he was really comfortable with that. So I think yeah, it's so nice to see like clothes and like fabrics and like posters. His art lives in so many places so comfortably right it's 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 just so nice and i think that's why you see it everywhere yeah because some people might have no other um art anywhere in their house or in their wardrobe but, but yeah they we'll might have, have a key fame t-shirt totally. or a poster, and i that's, think that's like the best thing ever that's it yeah that is it um so that's keith hearing we're gonna give you a list of things to check out and there's so much stuff and it is lovely to like watch him work and look at his work and watch people talk about him. Yeah. And it, you just get the sense that he was... You you feel... Well, I feel like I wish we'd shared the earth for a bit longer together. Yeah. Um, and been friends. Um, so, we're going to tell you now about how you can... Because obviously, after this, you'll be thinking, how can I stay in constant contact with Luca and Kim every day every minute of every day I'm almost you know, I sense the episode's coming to an end I'm getting a little bit frightened about what happens after how will you cope yeah it's okay don't worry so there's a number of ways you first of all if you liked the podcast you can email us if you didn't like the podcast do not email us definitely don't uh, the the email address is hownotpodcast at gmail.com um, so yeah nice Nice things only, please. Uh, we'll filter out the rest. Equally, if you'd like to email us with some sponsorship options, we'd be very happy to mm. have that chat. Mm-hmm. Um, just a rough idea, ballpark of things we like. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim, you go. Um, I'd say gin would be good. Yep. 
uh, wine. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, beautiful fabrics of mm, some kind. That would be nice. Statement jewelry. Statement. Yeah, large large pieces of jewelry. Um, any kind of like nice home baked snacks or pastries are, are good. Yeah. Um, and what else? What else? What crisps. Else? I really yeah, like love crisps. a crisp. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll keep that'll keep us going for mm. now. We'll, we'll yeah. update these sponsorship ideas as we go. But yeah, yeah, we, we shout out to anyone that wants to sponsor us. It's nice to have an idea, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but and I would say stay away from sort of. I'm not really interested in any any sort of um, sort of fascist apparel. No, not really interested in no, that. Thank you. Um, kind of white supremacy memorabilia again. Not really interested no, in that. No, Pam. Thank you, ma'am. No. no. So just stick to the first list. No. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at how the how not pod. Um, but One you'll get that right. Yeah, no, I was, I'm, I'm actually looking at it with my actual eyes, and I still can't see. it. I'm so I'm so married to the one that I wanted to have that someone had already taken. Um, it's at no, it's the How Not Pod, the How Not Pod. That is what our Instagram yeah. is. Um, but you can also follow uh, Luca at Luca Manning underscore, and you can follow me at Chicken the Pig. I love that. We'll talk <laughs> about that one day. Yeah, we will. Yeah. Um, and and very importantly, it isn't just the two of us. There is um, a incredible massive machine that runs behind us to make this happen um and so we're recorded by we're recorded at beastly studios by yeah. the wonderful sam die um so you can follow sam at beastly die or at beastly studios um so there's lots and lots of ways that you can um find out what we're doing in between recordings how we live our life mm-hmm. in the meantime um and do you want to talk about patreon yeah so it, we will definitely be um, letting you all know about Patreon quite soon. We've realised that um, Patreon, even if you are quite shit at running it, it can still make you some money. Yeah, which is really good news. <laughs> because it's a pandemic. Yeah. We are creatives. Yeah. And we are hoping that you will support us to keep running this. So look out for Patreon news coming at you soon. We will, yeah, just keep in touch via socials or email and we'll let you know how you can support us. But Basically, it, it takes a village, people. It takes and, a village to raise a podcast. Um, we're hoping to build a little community of um, good troublemakers and yeah. people that think big and ask how not. So, yeah, look out for that Patreon page soon. And we're going to make some um, kind of exclusive content yeah. that um, makes it all incredibly worthwhile. Yeah. So that, you know, look One, out. It's going to be great. 100%. Um, so, thanks, Luca. Thanks, Kim. Um We'll be back soon. Yeah, we will. We'll be back very soon. Oh, and also, you should definitely subscribe to us um, on all your podcasty platforms. Again, good reviews only. Yeah, Um, five stars. Yeah, five stars all the way. Um, And yeah, we'll see you soon. Much love. Lovely. Okay, bye. Bye.